Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Here's Miss Yvette, my lovely wife, the mother of my children, the champion of my heart, to deliver to you a special Mother's Day poem she wrote just for you. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. I just want you to know that today is a wonderful day for all mothers because we were able to bring life into the world. But today is not necessarily a happy day for some mothers. Some mothers are experiencing sorrow and heartbreak today, while others are experiencing joy. For more, me personally, I am experiencing joy, and I'm thankful for my children, and they rise up and they call me blessed. But we want to be cognizant of the mother who is dealing with issues as well today and who longs for reconciliation with her children, who longs to see their children thrive. They may be thriving, but they don't get to be a part of that. And I want you to know my heart's desire today is for blessings to be upon your family, on your children, and on your grandchildren. And yesterday I wrote a poem on behalf of Mother's Day. And I just want to share this with you. Alan and I were talking and I made this phrase, you know what, mothers are the glue of the family. And I realized, I think that could be a poem. So here we go. Within each home, brave mothers are the glue. But every now and then, they need affirming too. So on this Mother's Day, in the world that we now live, fathers and children give honor to the one who gives and gives. Saying thanks to all you do, ring loudly in a mother's ear, spurring them on to continue year after year after year. Some don't hear those words, their hearts stricken with grief due to the tides of life, sadly unleashed. But the story's not over for those still alive. Mothers take heart who long to reconcile. Divide and conquer is the enemy's threatened test, but we all overcome through repentance and forgiveness. Within every mother's heart, she yearns for daughter or son to acknowledge her sacrifice, declaring the words, well done. Yes, mothers are the glue, even when plans go awry. Their warm hugs and words linger, always affirming you and I. So take a moment to affirm the brave mother who birthed you, sending love and good wishes giving honor to whom honor's due. Thank you, Yvette. That was wonderful. Now we're going to get into the Word. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel 1. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Paniah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, 
he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and forget not your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him through the Lord all the days of his life, and no raider will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord hath granted me what I have asked of him. So now... I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. I'm speaking to you today on the subject, a mother's bravery. One of the brave mothers in the Bible, one of many. And our text today said that she was married to a man named Elkanah, who had another wife named Penina or Penina, and Penina had sons and daughters, and Hannah had none. And Penina would torment her with her barrenness, would pick on her, and every year was really hard for her when they would go to worship God in Shiloh at the tabernacle of the Lord there with Eli the priest. They would go there as a family, and Penina and her children would all get an offering to present to the Lord. 
And Elkanah, her husband, who felt bad for her, would give her twice what he gave them for her to offer to the Lord to help her feel a little better. And she couldn't be comforted, especially this trip. And so when they were eating together as a family, she wouldn't eat or drink. And Elkanah tried to comfort her and said, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? And all the mothers said, no. (laughs) He's a man. That's the way we think sometimes. Hannah arose when they finished eating, and she goes to the tabernacle, and Eli the priest is sitting there by the doorpost, and she begins to intensely pray. The scriptures say in verse 10 that she was in bitterness of soul. She prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said in her heart, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me. It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Do not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. God, if you answer this prayer, I'm going to give my son to you, and I'm not going to cut his hair. He's going to be completely consecrated to you. He's going to be, according to the Torah, a man of the Nazarite, according to the Scriptures, a man of the Nazarite vow, who would, like Samson, would not get his hair cut. So God blessed her with this, and pictures you see of Samuel artist rendition. If he doesn't have super long hair, they don't have the real impression of what happened here. And it happened as she continued praying that Eli is watching her. He sees her lips move, but doesn't hear her voice, and he thinks she's drunk and scolds her for it, says, you shouldn't be drinking. And she said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul Before the Lord, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. He didn't even know what she was asking for. He couldn't hear, but he pronounced a blessing upon her. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord." Now, Akana and his house all went up to the house of the Lord, as they would do every year, but Hannah wouldn't go with them. She committed her son to the Lord. She says, I'll go when he's ready to wean. And so she nursed him until he was aged to be weaned. And in some countries, that can be as old, if not older, than five years old. So she got to keep him in his early childhood years before she took and committed him to the Lord. So when she weaned him, she took him there with her, to the house of the Lord in Shiloh and brought him to Eli. And to Eli the priest, she said, O my Lord, my soul lives, my Lord. I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. You know, I'm the gal you thought was drunk. 
For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. An awesome act of sacrifice, a loving mother who got to have a child for the early years of her life, and then she would devote him to the house of the Lord when he was old enough to live with this priest and be trained by him, and then she would only see him when she would make the journey, according to Hebrew custom at feast times, she would get to see him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us from your word today in such a way that we are empowered, inspired, and encouraged as mothers and parents and women and men of God, young and old, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject of mother's bravery. We'll speak briefly in a few minutes on Hannah, how she was brave and what made her brave, how she stayed brave. But first of all, I'd just like to honor the mothers in the house, at your house, at home, with your families. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to your children and grandchildren and greats and even great-great-grandchildren. We salute you. Thank you, Yvette, for that poem and for blessing us by raising our kids and being such a loving grandmother to our grandchildren and a wonderful wife to me. In honor of you, I did some research and found that there's a group called salary.com that does research every year to determine the worth of a stay-at-home mom and the worth of a working mom. If you were to hire out all the duties, they separated the duties of a stay-at-home mom into 10 categories, categories like a daycare center, a teacher, a CEO, a psychologist, psychiatrist at times, a cook, a housekeeper, a laundry machine operator, a dry cleaner, a computer operator, facilities manager, janitor, and chauffeur. They studied how many hours a mother worked in those categories and what the family would have to pay if they outsourced those 10-plus duties. Here's what they determined in 2012. Forbes, Forbes magazine did a report on this. They determined that a mother was worth, just by her duties, $112,962 a year. Now, that is based on 40-hour work week plus 54 hours of overtime. A working mom would be given an additional annual salary, additional to what she makes on her current job, of $66,000, which is based on 40 hours of mothering with 18 hours of overtime. The article concludes in Forbes magazine, the breadth of mom's responsibilities is beyond what most workers could ever experience day to day. Imagine if you had to attract and retain someone to fill this role, someone who would fulfill these duties even when they didn't feel well. It's not possible. Mothers, we salute you. Happy Mother's Day. Mother's Day looks a lot different this year. <sighs> Mommy needs a quarantine. And our moms may be spending a lot of time with their kids right now. A lot. Like, so so much time. 
And even though they love their kids to the moon and back. Mommy! Where are you going? Sometimes moms need a little alone time. Mommy! You know, to recharge. Go talk to Daddy. Mommy! Where are you? But no matter what's happening in the world, their favorite way to spend time is with their family. In good times, in hard times. Mom! Hi. You're breaking everything! In uncertain times. Thank you, Mom, for making time for us every single day. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I ask that you would watch over us as we go to bed and rest, that you would speak to us in Bible stories and speak to us in... Uh... I'd like to speak to you for the next few minutes on the qualities of good mothers. Now, don't cringe. Don't break yourself. Say, oh, great, I'm fixing to get beat up because... I'm going to find out somewhere where I'm being, uh, you know, dropping the ball. No, you're doing these things. Today's not to beat you up. It's to encourage you. We're saluting you for these things. You are consistent. Dr. Dobson encourages young mothers by talking about the three-screen mama. A three-screen mama is a mama that's not really serious with her kids until she has yelled at them three times to stop something. And only then will they obey her because they know she means business. He said, at least she's consistent. Now, if she spreads it to four screams or five or more or two, she's going to confuse her kids. Consistency is the easiest way to make a child feel secure. And yet it's the hardest thing to be because children will always test it. Everybody wants to be the fun parent, the understanding parent, the good parent, but nobody wants to be the consistent parent because it's no fun. So thank you, Mom, for being the consistent parent. Without this quality, children would learn how to be manipulative whiners and grow up being imbalanced human beings and unhappy for the rest of their life because the real world doesn't work like Mama taught them that it worked. So thank you for being consistent. Good mamas are a calming influence. That was a calming influence in our children's lives. I wasn't so much. I was the reactionary parent. I would jump to a conclusion, although my son has admitted to me the last few years that I was almost right every single time. Uh, that would at least calm them down, hear their testimony, and then execute her judgment in their situation. Unless I was there, then I was included in it. Motherhood is an emotional experience, and sometimes it's hard to stay calm. But when patience runs low, it's not the easiest thing to practice calmness. But to be calm, and this is something that I had to learn to do as a learned behavior for me, is to get the big picture, get God's perspective on things. Otherwise, you'll make a mountain out of a molehill, 
and then wind up messing up. And because of that very thing, I raise my kids pretty much on my knees before them regularly, asking for their forgiveness for overreacting and hurting their feelings. What is the cure for this? It's time with a shepherd. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, still waters. He restores or refreshes my soul. When I relax in the presence of the shepherd and realize he has it all under control, it's going to work out. I'm less tempted to overreact and to freak out. A good mother is knowledgeable. Now, mamas, you may not think you're knowledgeable, but you are because you raise these little ones who are full of questions and you just learn how to answer their questions. You know how to find out the information. I dare say a mother that has raised someone that has grown up into adulthood, you're worthy of some type of degree because you have learned a lot of stuff in dealing with that human being. You're knowledgeable. Here's a cute video, a little girl that was full of whys. I think you could get the point. Get up, girl. Why? It's daytime. Not daytime, it's up time. Yeah, it's up time. You've got to brush your teeth. Why? Because you have morning breath. Why? Why what? No, kids can't have coffee. Why? Because coffee is for big people. Why? Because um, little kids can't drink it. It makes you too hyper. Why make me too hyper? Give me a little bit. No. Why? A good mother is patient. Now, patience is a learned quality from having to deal with impatient people many times. The baby that's hungry, the little one that needs a diaper change, the toddler that has fallen down and wants help, wants to be made to feel better now, the older kid that's testing your limits that wants to stretch their wings and fly. As you learn to be patient with them, you're teaching them how to be patient because Patience requires patient practice, and there's no better way to develop it than through raising kids. Romans 5 says, We glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So tribulation develops our patience. Now, you may hear or have even said, I don't think I've said it, don't pray for patience because patience comes through tribulation. So don't pray for it. Don't ever pray for patience. The fact is, if everything's going great, you're already patient. So why would you pray for it? But if you're going through tribulation, patience is being developed. You better pray and ask God to help you. It's good. A good mother is forgiving. She doesn't hold the past over her kid's head. She brings a correction, and every day is a new day. You don't bring up yesterday. You let it go. And if you love your child, it's so easy to do this. 
in being forgiving, you're teaching them how to forgive. And you know, at least I knew, we mess up and we need our kids' forgiveness. In fact, I taught my kids how to forgive by teaching them how to forgive me, but also by forgiving them if they messed up, letting it go, not holding things over their head for the rest of their life. Some people just hold on to stuff. and It's not good. It will come back to haunt you. This verse is often quoted in churches across the world at offering time. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I know this relates to giving, but it actually relates to forgiving. Because the verse just before this ends with the words, Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. So as we forgive, we will receive it. It's on the principle of freely you've received, freely give. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you're an angry, upset, bitter, vengeful person, your child's going to grow up and be that way, and it's going to come back to haunt you. If you take up your child's offenses, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but if you take up your child's offenses and hold grudges against people, for their mistreatment, then you are teaching them how to do it. And guess what? It's going to come back to bite you because they're going to hold grudges against you for most likely, unless God does a miracle in their hearts. A good mother is loving. Loving in little ways, when it's convenient, when you feel it, when it's inconvenient, when you don't feel it, it's important that our children know they are loved. And I grew up knowing I was loved by my mom. Not my dad so much. I was kind of scared of him most of the time. But I love my mom. And I tell you what, at her funeral, you could feel the love in the room because she was a loving person. Mothers are that way. They show love in little ways with notes and gifts and gestures. And in describing his love for us, God uses a mother's love to describe his love. Isaiah 49 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, on a rare occasion it could be, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You know what that's referring to. Your walls or your boundaries are continually before me. So that's God's love for us. He will never forget us. He cares for us. And to illustrate that, he uses a mother's love. So loving your kids is more than just giving them affection, but it's giving them correction. Hebrews 12, talking about God's love, says the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, that is, chastens or punishes every son whom he receives. And the scriptures go on to say, if he doesn't discipline us, then we're not his kids. You know, you don't punish your neighbor's kids, you punish your kids if they have it coming. You bring correction to those that are yours. And so because God loves us, he brings correction. And because we love our children, mothers, because you love your children, it's your love that makes you correct them. And we salute you for loving them. We have some wonderful children in our church. Our mothers are doing a great job. A good mother is a friendly mother. Friendly means to have friends with people that are your age and not your age. 
young and old. Friendship with other moms is good for you as a mother because other mothers can remind you that you're not alone. They can share with your burdens. They can pray with you. They can encourage you. And if your children's friends have mothers, being friends with their mothers is good because you can share information. But also, you can be an influence in the lives of the children who are influencing your children. It will come back to you. Well, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're not real friendly and you've been hurt by people. Don't shrink back. Don't let unforgiveness get a hold of you, but be brave, be courageous. Reach out and pray for the Lord to lead you to friends. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So there are friends. I know this is speaking of Jesus, but there are friends you can be closer to than your own family. So may the Lord help you to be friendly and to befriend other mothers especially because your kids need you to be encouraged and refreshed, and you need it. So don't forget about your own needs and how being a friend and having a friend and friends can be a blessing to you. That's why participating in small groups is important, not just for biblical intake, but for that fellowship part. That's the reason why this quarantine has been so painful for the church, because the church the Lord established is based on three things. It's on his principles, his word, his presence, our worship, and his people, our fellowship. The Hallelujah June's coming. We're getting back to that. But small groups are happening, and don't wait on the church. I mean, my goodness, you have a house, you have a phone, you can do some stuff that would be encouraging and edifying and maybe get away from stuff that could be discouraging. This is my favorite point. A good mama is fierce. She's like a mama bear. Get out of her way. In describing the need for wisdom in not having fellowship with foolish people, the Bible says in Proverbs, it's better to cross paths with a bear robbed of her cubs than to have fellowship with a fool. You'll have more destruction from fellowship with a fool than the dangerous thing of a bear who's robbed of her cubs. The point is, Mamas are fierce. Get out of their way. Now, there is a time and a place to be fierce. There's a time to protect your child, but there's a time not to. If you're always going to be protecting your child, be in the helicopter situation, rescuing them out of every situation, they won't learn how to resolve differences with others. They won't learn how to not always be victims and crybabies. If we take up their offenses, we're not championing their future. Don't get trapped in the present. Sure, they got their feelings hurt. But for their future, they've got to learn to pick up the pieces and move on with their life and not make a memorial over everything that has gone wrong. It's best to stay balanced and give people the benefit of the doubt whenever things appear to be unjust in relationship with your kids. Don't get in the middle of their conflicts and cut your friendships off with people. If you do, you'll look outside, and there are those two kids will be playing in the yard that you got upset at their mama over. So be fierce, but know there's a time to not be. Be vigilant is really the point I'm making. 
And finally, to be brave. It takes bravery to give birth. It takes bravery to teach your baby to walk and ride a bicycle and play and swing. It takes bravery to send them off to school or, as in this season, to homeschool them takes bravery. It takes bravery to raise them and then release them into becoming the people you always knew they would be. It takes bravery to trust God with their lives and their future. Mothers, you're the bravest people we know. When our daughter was carrying her and Paul's second child, Summary Okimoto was ill with something that her first child caught in a daycare center. The doctors told her this was not good, that your child could be born handicapped. You should terminate this pregnancy. Her and Paul prayed. Based on prayer and their values, they chose to continue the pregnancy to full term. Regardless of the outcome, they would deal with it with God's grace. Summer was admitted into a special program where they were doing some medicine, a test on a certain kind of medicine that could be a remedy for this problem. And she didn't know if she was taking a placebo or the real thing they were testing. She doesn't know to this day, but we do know that her child was born healthy and normal. In fact, beyond normal. She's so smart, it's scary. During the days of her pregnancy, Summer would play that song. We sang it earlier this morning. You make me brave, you make me brave. She would play that song to her baby in the womb. She'd play that song to herself. And to this day, they play that song in her home, and the baby dances. She's a little girl now. She's five. She dances to that song, and she's the bravest kid. So brave, it's scary. Mothers, it takes bravery to be you. Hannah was very brave. You know, if it was not for her bravery, we would not be blessed as much as we are. I'm sure God would have found another way, but through her son Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel before they went to kingship rule, Samuel's the one that anointed David king. David was the forefather of Jesus. Jesus was born into his lineage. Samuel was born miraculously, kind of like John the Baptist was. His mother was barren in old age. In Hannah's case, she wasn't old, but she was barren, and the Lord brought healing and gave her a child. And like John the Baptist was, this child was fully devoted to the Lord, and he was a Nazarite. How was she able to do this? I love this picture. There's a bunch of pictures on the Internet based on this story. I'm sure she would see the child on special days, Hebrew festivals, more than once a year. I'm sure she would send gifts to him, make sure he had enough clothing and stuff like that as he grew. We know she was proud of him, but he grew into a fine man and actually was used of the Lord to bring correction to the very priest that was raising him. He heard the voice of God. His name, Samuel, means the Lord has heard. When Eli pronounced that blessing to her, God has granted your petition. She knew the Lord had heard her. You know, when we're discouraged and we pray, you pray and you don't stop praying until you know that you know that you know God has heard you. That's faith. She knew God had heard her prayer. And so when the child was born, she named him Samuel. The Lord has heard. And 
The Lord heard her promise, and she fulfilled her promise to him. And in her, in her bravery, when he was weaned, she presented him to the Lord and left him there, only to be visited from time to time, certainly not visited daily. That's hard. How did she do that? All right, let's all say it together on three. One, two, three. How? How did she do that? How was Hannah brave? Well, her bravery was based on prayer. We saw in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel that she prayed. She prayed intensely. She poured out her heart to God. Maybe she prayed herself to sleep at night, but on this one occasion, she was in desperate prayer, so much so that no sound came out of her mouth. Only her lips moved, praying from her heart, but God heard her heart. Prayer is what it takes to be brave. So when you're afraid for your kids, when you're afraid as a parent, when you're you're afraid to let them go, the answer is pray. Pray, receive prayer, but pray, and don't stop praying until you know God has heard. Be persistent in prayer. Every time anxiety hits you, pray. Prayer is a way of surrender. Prayer is a way of petition. Prayer is a way of intercession. Prayer is a way of warfare. Pray. That's how we practice boldness. And this bravery continues in worship. The last words of 1 Samuel 1 says, Worship the Lord there. Then chapter 2, verse 1 begins with worship and prayer. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, nor is there any rock like our God. And the song goes on till verse 11, and it ends with, And the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So if we're brave and we're people of prayer and worship, our children will also pray and worship because they're watching our example. We used to sing a song called Hannah's Song, and it's based on chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verse 2, and it goes like this. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock Like our God, there is none holy as the Lord. Oh, there is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. There is none holy. As the Lord, there is none holy. There is none holy. Oh, there is none holy as the Lord. Lord, I pray for every mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, and woman of God under the sound of my voice, and every other person, young and old. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them, 
that you would strengthen them, enable them, Lord, to continue the journey as people of prayer and worship, to retain the calm in their homes and consistency in their parenting and in their loving and in their forgiving and in their being kind and being fierce when it's time to be fierce and in being brave, Lord. May we face every obstacle in life. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would have wisdom to discern between the voices of the enemy and your voice, to be wise, knowing what to allow to enter our minds and our hearts with what we watch and what we read and what we listen to, Lord, so that we would be people of the word and faith, able to be brave because faith is the strength of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go get them, mama bears. God bless you.